We're taking this, 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 we're taking with a pinch of salt. Like the song says, we're taking this with a pinch of salt. That is, we're trying to ask sensible, clinically relevant questions to provide you, our dear audience, with sensible, clinically relevant answers. My name is Andres Kuberne, and you're listening to A Pinch of Salt, a new ERA podcast series. It is an honor and a privilege to have as our guest today, Dr. Sandra Herman, who is a well-known expert in the field of onconephrology. Sandra, welcome to A Pinch of Salt. Thank you so much, Andrea, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. We're excited to. The pleasure is all ours. Um, so we'll be talking about immune checkpoint in inhibitors um, in this podcast. Um, I'm always a bit surprised um, to find that the universe is uh, organized in a very uh, neat way. That is that when when anything works well for the heart, it also almost invariably works well for the well for the kidney, which is great uh, because if we had drugs that are great for the heart and terrible for the kidneys and vice versa, that would be a nightmare to consult this with cardiologists, nephrologists, uh, which organ is more important, what should we do? But luckily we don't have that problem in let's say cardionephrology. Uh, but in onconephrology, it's not that simple sometimes. Uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors are uh, a new kid on the block, maybe we could say that. Not so new, but still newish. And uh, they might do wonders for cancers, but might be bad for any other organ, basically. Um, they work by unlocking the immune system and just unleashing it. And um, because malignant cells are uh, recognizable by the immune systems, they suffer because of it but they also might cause autoimmune uh, diseases. Uh, so because this is a new thing and most of us don't have a lot of experience with that, we'd like to ask you, Sandra, a couple questions that are just basically from regular clinical work, uh, our regular consults with oncologists, I would say. Are you ready? I'm ready, and uh, as you say, it's not that new, but you are surprised how many people don't use that much and, you know, need uh, uh, to have those um, doubts and questions answered. So I think it's a great opportunity for that. Exactly. I, like anything in medicine, you need experience. And if you don't have it, things become difficult. So mm -hmm. because these diseases can cause autoimmune diseases or can cause a flare of an autoimmune disease, the first question is related to one of our typical patients. So let's say we have a patient with known autoimmune kidney disease, for example, IgA nephropathy. This patient has cancer and an indication for uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment. So a type of cancer that would be where, where this treatment would be indicated. Can treatment be started in this case, even though the chance of a worsening of the kidney disease is probably significant? And if it is started, how often would one check kidney function and urine in such a patient? Yeah, I think yeah. in those kind of, for this kind of patients, obviously there is a multidisciplinary decision between the, among the oncologist, the patient, yourself. But, you know, if it's a life-saving therapy, and you know, it's likely to the treatment we carry out and go ahead. So we discuss with the patient and there is a chance of relapsing. 
you know, when you get all the rheumatological disease, approximately one third of them might have some flare and probably the kidney is the same. Um, we know that some patients might have some baseline gene and you don't even, even know and IGAs are common like that because, you know, it's some can be very mild, but they definitely can be carried out uh, and, uh, and patient can receive the proposed treatment but then you would require a closer follow-up. You know, you would start the patient on the immunotherapy, follow closely, you know, they usually come every three weeks for most of the treatments with checkpoint inhibitors. You can check the, the kidney function the following week, but um, most of the time, if it's doing okay, every month, those patients will be followed with the laboratory. And then, um, if uh, there is some significant, you know, change of kidney function, flare, or the urinary analysis get more, you know, active, then you might be concerned that's really flared up. And they, most of the time, those patients, if they have a specific uh, disease that you already know, most of those patients, they will receive a dose of corticosteroids because, you know, it could be, if it early on, most likely could be a reflare. If it's around the time that, you know, Interstitial nephritis was the most common uh, pathology found uh, between 12 and 16 weeks. They also can get the prednisone for the treatment. If you know they have some particular um, disease that's not responded to the treatment, like membranes nephropathy, or some patients have a pyroponoplastic disease, some uh, IJ vasculitis type, you may use another type of therapy for membranes, for example, rituximab has been used and for case reports have been shown to respond. So to, to summarize the, the treatment for those uh, glomerular diseases that develop during the flare during the IC, uh, ICI uh, acute kidney injury, it will be require specific immunosuppression for each type of disease. If you're already known, you might need to go beyond the prednisone. In a systematic review done previously, um, corticosteroids was the mostly common use, at least for the beginning. If they don't, you know, resolve, they might, some might have used rituximab, some even cyclophosphamine have been used. Most yeah. of them would have partial or complete, at least partial to complete response. Okay, so it's uh, it's probably one third of the patient. It's not every patient with an already known autoimmune kidney disease. That is obviously good to know. And then, but the 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 follow up is quite labor intensive. Uh, if I understood you correctly, every a couple of weeks in the beginning and every month after that. Yeah, if things are going okay, if it's not flurry up, you just because they have to come back to for the has received immunotherapy, so you check a complete you know chemistry panel, so you can go for it. If the patient's doing fine, obviously you can come as regular with the immune checkpoint uh, therapy. But if patients, we always say that I develop some, uh, you know, edema, some swelling upper legs, you know, that your urine is more foam or something, it's good to alert the patient to be paying attention in those uh, symptoms um, and find this to, they might need to come early on. But I think if you don't, a first time this patient, probably in the first month, I would do maybe the first week, then a couple of weeks when they return. And then if things are okay, Probably every time with the ICI therapy. So uh, I guess a lot of this follow up is then done by the oncologist, actually. Yeah, 
I think in the first month, I think you wanted to be close. At least I particularly liked, you know, you do labs center, like this, if they live in another town, they send to us. If they come here, they do. And then usually we receive you know, the alert and we check and, and follow up with the patient. And then if it's a couple of weeks and they're doing fine, they come, they get the ICI therapy. And with the prior to the to receive it, they have the blood work and also urine analysis, and we can decide about if they're gonna be receiving the dose or not. Okay. So the second question would be related to a patient who's already receiving immune check inhibitors and has a worsening of kidney function. Uh, now this happens in about five, ten percent, or even more. It depends on which data you look at. It's certainly not in everybody. But it can also happen pretty late, 12 weeks, 16 weeks after the start, even after the finish. So when we do find when we do find an acute kidney injury, uh, what is the next step? Presumably the oncologist finds this actually, especially later on. So can the oncologist give steroids empirically? Should this be done by the oncologist? Uh, or when do you decide to do the biopsy? I guess they, they probably ask you to, to consult with you before they do anything, right? Yeah, um, yes and no. You know, if uh, the most time they get the laboratory, if the kidney function is worsening, you know, the urine analysis has affected. If there is no other cause, the patient, you know, comforts and very clean, melanoma has no other disease or squamous cell, no prior diseases. And then the, he's just used or she's just used immune checkpoint therapy. And there is no other patient relatively drink well or think they can give some fluids and see if it doesn't. And there is no other cause due to ultrasound. There is no obstruction, you know. Sometimes they, the, and sometimes they live in a region that cannot get the nephrologist right away. They can go empirically typically prends on that. That can happen. But as I, as I discussed this prior, nowadays, most of these drugs have been used with other nephrotoxic drugs like cisplatin, carboplatin, and the JET inhibitor. So it gets more complicated. As you said, then they will contact us and see what we think. Um, after rule out other cows, they did ultrasound, you know, imaging studies, they have a PET, you can consider, like for us, we use the biomarkers like CRP, which is a very common, you know, C-reactive protein can be used if it's elevated, might be a sign of immune-related, you know, inflammation status. Uh, we use retinobind protein to creatine ratio. If both are high and, um, you know, and there is no other cows, um, we can go ahead and may consider um, empirical treatment prenzone. If it's very high, um, there are other um, uh, drugs involved, there is a potation, uh, then we would go for kidney biopsy, especially if creatinine is elevated more than 1.5 to 2 times the baseline. And there were um, other PPIs or NSAIDs, obviously you hold everything and um, consider a treat with prenzone um, if, if that's a clear cut. If not, the biopsy will tell you because the problem is those other drugs can cause uh, kidney injury that you don't need immune suppression with counteractive effect of the uh, immunotherapy. So uh, yeah, so why. yeah, if the patient is receiving carboplatin and you just have acute tubular necrosis, then obviously that's a different story, right? That's totally. that's the challenge. And yeah. yeah, and sometimes we can, obviously, once the patient had a, a kicking injury, I usually recommend, okay, uh, it's just ATN from the carboplatin or, or 
for example, TMA for VEGF, let's wait, like we stop them and let's wait to resolve the kidney function at least closer to baseline, you know, and then if they, if they need, sometimes they just start immunotherapy and then they hold to the carboplatin uh, in those cases. At least you don't need to um, make the patient bound to corticosteroids for uh, several weeks and then you wait to resolve and they can get the checkpoint in the next month that they, they are you know, supposed to be. So there is a few things to consider it, but yeah, the oncologists, they can treat if they have very, they are very sure you know, that that's related to therapy, but if they are not, they usually contact us and we go over. So, and in, in this setting, in this group of patients, you find that CRP is uh, quite good at discerning if the adverse renal adverse event is due to inflammation or not, because generally speaking, in acute interstitial nephritis, which is not related to immune checkpoint inhibitors, the CRP could be normal. But yeah. in these cases, it's usually uh, elevated, right? Yeah, that's a good question. The, um, in, the, in those cases, when the patient has the you know, immune system bumped up and there is a lot of cytokine syndrome, like the release, they, they might have the CRP elevated. There's a caveat that some patients with a cancer, their CRP, like renal cell carcinoma, they have a better prognosis, CRP is high. So they might already have elevated CRP. So you have to, th those markers, they, I found that at least for us is very helpful for patients with the AKI stage, you know, one, very 1.5, just like in the borderline, when you don't know if it's like volume depletion or maybe as you say, uh, carboplatin, uh, starting to act upon in the first week, you already see some signs of that. And then you get the CRP and the retinal bind protein to creatinine ratio, they are normal. It's unlikely to see um, um, an event that really causes damage. And then they'll be very helpful to say, okay, let's give some fluids, wait and check, come next week and see how other things go. If both are highs, you know, then you might be helping more lean, helping to go towards to the kidney biopsy if the patient doesn't have any contraindication, obviously. Okay, okay. That's very useful information. Um, so the third question, now let's say we have a patient who's had a renal adverse event. Let's say it could be acute, let's say it was acute interstitial nephritis with this therapy. Now and but this therapy also is working great for the for the cancer, the melanoma, whatever it is. Um, and you want to obviously then continue with it. Can you rechallenge these patients with this uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor? And when or can we do anything to prevent the next bout of acute interstitial nephritis? Does a dose alteration change anything, or do we just give maybe a low dose of steroids automatically if you rechallenge? What what do you do in these situations? Yeah, that's another very good question. You know, from the oncology, you know, ask NCC guidelines, they usually they don't recommend if anyone has the their CTCA, the common um, adverse effect terminology of uh, adverse effect cancer above three, like stage, which would be equivalent close to our AKI stage three. Uh, but other uh, societies, uh, oncological societies, they do recommend to rechallenge. Uh, if the patient resolves the acute kidney injury, you know, go back for uh, um, closer to their baseline. Yeah. Uh, but a short answer, yes, yes, you can rechallenge if this is really, you know, life-saving uh, treatment for the patient and the patient obviously recover a kidney function, even though some patients, even if they don't recover and they 
prefer to be in like, you know, on treatment and maybe dialysis is a risk, they might opt, but in, in, in a great part of patients, you can uh, re-challenge once the acute uh, uh, kidney injury resolves. There was this uh, large retrospect study we were participated where most of the patients, you know, were re-challenged under lower dose of uh, corticosteroids. Um, in general, we use a, a 10 milligram dose which is re-challenged uh, um, to, to restart. And just one out of five of those patients, you know, around 20% will develop the uh, ATI again. It's important for those patients that you remove any potassium appropriate drugs like PPIs and SADs that may have triggered the AKI to, to begin with. And um, after you treat and get the prednisone, they're okay, the, the, the kidney function is stabilized. Then they can discuss with oncologists that's really needed. Then you can start with 10 milligrams, the most common uh, dose. Some people do 20 first week and then uh, go uh, ahead and keep the 10 milligrams for first month. You check kidney function, if the things are going okay, especially they have a drug that instigate the interstitial nephritis, you can try to drop the friends on five milligrams next month and go ahead. But many times what really happens, those patients, they have the already immune system so you know uh, ramped up that uh, even if you are on 10 milligrams of prednisone and the kidney function is stable, you know, hovering around the, about the baseline, it, it is what my, what really like prevent going out that they develop other immune-related events like pneumonitis or, you know, colitis that start getting too much because they're responding well. It's actually immune-related events is a good thing, is associated to a better, you know, uh, outcome. Yeah, uh, because sure. you want the, your cells to, to fall. So you don't want that, you know, um, that to be flare up or really come in a full blown, but prednisone 10 milligrams usually helps. And I have patients spend several months a week, uh, months uh, on, on prednisone and, and receiving. So in summary, which allergy has been done and many times use the same class as immune checkpoint inhibitor if they were in two classes, you know, CTL4 inhibitors or PD-1, PD-1. Sometimes they just use one and then they uh, continue on the therapy as much as you know, the patient's responding. Great, great. Again, very, very useful information for all of us who don't do this daily. Uh, now for possibly the toughest question, um, can immune checking point inhibitors be given to transplant patients? Yeah, um, in short answer, yes, it can be done. Uh, but most of the time, the oncologists, you know, try to use um, anti-cancer drug that it really is not going to be doing the opposite that you want to protect the, kidney, the for example, kidney transplanting, which is our case. But yeah, it can be done if it's the drug that you help. And this obviously is a decision with the kidney transplant team, with the oncologist and the patients uh, to decide. Uh, it's around the 30 to 40% of the patients you present with some kind of a kidney injury. You no, know, most times this is considered rejection, but sometimes you are surprised and can find ATN. Um, this usually occurs much earlier than the with the immune checkpoint in native kidney, usually like in four, 20, 20, 24 days is the um, median that they would develop either the antibody mediated rejection or a T cell mediated rejection. 
um, most of the time when they develop, they the patient that great percentage will require obviously you know dialysis, renal replacement therapy because. Uh, but um, there's the new studies, uh, and this this was uh, I'm, I'm just discussing what we had the data before because many times the oncologists when they had some AKI uh, they would remove completely the immune suppression even before starting therapy because they were afraid to contract the effect. So that's the the results we had. That, uh, until more recently, but there are studies coming from the Australia. They did treat patients with um, nivolumab. They kept out immune suppression, and only like around 10% of the patients had the rejection. So if you keep them on their immune suppression therapy, most likely they, um, they have less chance to have a rejection. And uh, other groups here um, have done the treatment and changed the, usually the, the three drugs they use, transplant, you know, calcium inhibitors, um, um, uh, mycophenolate, multitube, and prenzone. Usually they remove the mycophenolate, they change tacrolimus to uh, emitor inhibitor and, kept, and can do a tapered dose of uh, prenzone. Um, and the group from Boston, Dr. Murakami, they have done this uh, with a few patients, and apparently they have not done have have not had any rejection. She presented this data recently, so yeah, that, yeah. it's a it's an option. Uh, but I would say I think the first thing you have to go over if the oncologist will choose. They usually do not choose that as a first in you know, a therapy op for obvious reasons, but it can be done and can patients can be carried out. Yeah, I, that mTOR strategy seems a promising one. I guess we'll, we'll we'll find out more in a couple of years when more and more patients might choose to transplant patients. That is, might choose to take these drugs. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, on to the penultimate question. So you're an, you're an expert in this field. You've been uh, following following it for quite some time. Um, and if you had the chance to give only one message to a young nephrologist. Uh, what would that be? Well, in, in relation to oncolephrology, you know, it's uh, it's a expanded subspecialty that deals with a lot of intersections with the hematology, oncology. That's just growing up, and especially with these new therapies, this cancer immunobiology and the mechanism how these drugs um, work and their toxicities that can. You know, even though they're targeted the cancer, they can have offside effects, include the kidney. So it'd be very important for um, all nephrologists, you know, the new or uh, even as uh, the old nephrologists, uh, to really be up to date with these uh, drugs. Because if you see, you'll be almost one third of the patients in general nephrology, they're going to have some kind of oncological issue, either related to the the cancer disease affect the kidneys or the drugs to treat the kidney disease. And uh, because people are surviving more and, and we have to deal with the complications of the AKI, they're going to develop, you know, chronic kidney disease. And I think it's, it's really important, even though it seems something very, you know, specific, I think more and more, uh, we're going to have to deal with the consequences or, or the improvement of the, this, uh, the oncology and hematologists treating patient and they survive more. And then we have to um, help them to maintain um, um, the kidney health. 
Yeah, so it's it's it, I guess the field is exciting because you can really do great stuff for the patient, particularly if the response to the cancer is uh, good, which is often the case. And uh, it's a lot of teamwork, which can be very rewarding. P more people, and more the more people you have, the more knowledge you have in one room. I yeah, guess. Yeah, I agree. At oncology, hematology, we are very close. You know. Um, Together, at least here in my in my division and my institution, we we have very close contact with them, and that's very helpful. Um, All right. Um, so the last question is a bit of a getting to know you kind of question, uh, and this question is: Which book, luxury item, and two songs would you take to a desert island, and why? Well, I. I, I I do I do like books. I'm not the most like uh, fanatic for books, but there's a book that I I like uh, um, uh, the outliners from uh, Caldwell, and I I would take to the island. I think it's a very interesting book. Uh, help us to uh, understand if we're working in something and and invest in that that you know can can be helpful and I think if I'm in a desert island and need the help maybe to get out I would do that and songs I have I like the oldies I like Coldplay U2 uh, um, and from which songs I think uh, my first uh, first time I listened Yellow for Coldplay was my uh, I I really started uh, falling in love for the band and you too is you too I think yeah. and of their songs I would be happy to have with me. I'm always kind of worried when these artists are considered oldies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think, you know, I list them since I was like a teenager, you know, very young age. And I, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm already getting, uh, yeah, they... I think that I'm molding, I can measure for them, even though Coldplay is not an old band, but, um, but you too, yeah. You too. Is a, I would consider, you know, what the Beatles are for me for probably when I was young. Maybe you too. Is yeah, there, there's a whole generation that grew up with you two, and mm -hmm. uh, I know people that only visit you two concerts, uh, and have visited tens or twenty or whatever. So yeah, I've been four times to to show Coldplay three times. I I love them. Oh, Coldplay have crazy shows with all that light yeah. work and everything. Yeah, it's beautiful. Perfect. All right. Uh, Sandra, thank you very much for uh, doing this. Thank you for sharing your uh, experiences uh, and doing this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us and listening to this episode. Please check out other episodes that might already be available and stay tuned for new episodes, which will be released every second Thursday of the month. Thank you very much and goodbye.